0: This Yusai, welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. Today, my guest is Yang Chen, an entrepreneur with extensive resume, who left a corporate career to start a business near to his heart, Asha Noodles. Asha makes delicious Taiwanese noodles in Tainan, using a 100-year-old tradition not only his food's a genuine expression of his culture, has become a global success story while honoring his heritage. Welcome, Yang. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, tell me where are you right now?
1: I'm in Los Angeles right now at the moment. So at our corporate office in Alhambra, California to be specific.
0: Alhambra, the San Gabriel Valley, the place for best Asian food.
1: <laughs> yes, the Mecca of uh, Asian food.
0: <laughs> I think it's under-celebrated, truly. There should be numerous Michelin star restaurants in San Gabriel Valley if I could help it.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed.
0: <laughs> well, before we dive into the noodles and the nitty gritties about the company, I want to learn about
1: you. Are you an immigrant from Taiwan? I was actually born in the States, so I'm a local local American. My parents were from Taiwan. And uh, had a lot of family uh, living in Taiwan as well.
0: What was it like? Did you grow up in California? What was it like growing up a second generation immigrant?
1: Yeah, so my parents actually came over, you know, during that time, back in the late 60s, 70s. And a lot of them came over for further education, right? Exchange students and things like that. And so my parents actually came over. And for some reason, a lot of them were placed in the Midwest, so went from a very tropical kind of uh, warm Taiwanese environment straight to the Midwest of the U.S. So my parents were actually out in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And so that's where they went to school at the University of Wisconsin. And uh, they met met out there and then, you know, graduated their studies and then ended up working and getting jobs in the Midwest. So I was born in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and um, I lived in a city called rochester minnesota which is famous for having the mayo clinic i think that's the most uh, notable thing about rochester and um, lived there for 12 years and then um, after that moved to california with with my parents
0: wow it's funny you said about midwest uh, my family moved us from taipei to terry hill indiana and it oh, okay. doesn't get more, more <laughs> Midwestern than that. And, and that's where I grew up as well. And it was very different growing up in that environment, definitely. And for me, we're the only Asian family pretty much from miles and miles away. Was that like that for you as well?
1: Uh, yeah, exactly the same. Thankfully, I had my sister. So we we're the only two at our school. It teaches you a lot about people and played a big role in shaping who I am today mm-hmm. and the way I think today.
0: Tell me about that. Tell me, what was it so different and what did you learn?
1: Children are innocent. So growing up, you know, I don't actually remember discrimination um, and or racism. But when I think back to my childhood, I have so many examples of racism and discrimination. Right. So when I moved to the Bay Area when I was 12, I started actually learning more about what discrimination was. And I was like, oh, so that's what I experienced when I was in first grade or second grade. Like, I really didn't know. Right. So, you know, I think now there's terms like passive aggression, et cetera, et cetera, that all kind of define what these things are. But I think the bottom line is, is like, I believe and I still believe that people, I think, inherently are innocent and they are good. Right. And it's, it's what happens in the environment. It's what they hear on TV. It's what they see from their parents. That's what kind of shapes and molds them into who they are. So, you know, that kind of stuff was very second nature to me. So when a lot of the anti api stuff was happening during COVID and things like that, I was actually not as sensitive to it. And a lot of my colleagues and peers were like, you know, can't you see this? And don't you feel that? I was like, you know what? I, I I see it. I understand it. But for me growing up, like, this is like this is nothing compared to what i was what i was used to but my experience growing up i think was amazing uh, i got to you know really see things from the other side right and um, i think it just leads to more understanding and more more acceptance of people so
0: i couldn't echo you more i couldn't echo you more of that i grew up the same way in Terry hill indiana i think we are sheltered by ignorance and because of for me at least that english is my second language so for First four years, I didn't speak English, so I have no idea what racism was, other than the, the physical reaction toward me of making the slanted eyes and call me, you know, Daniel Sun because I was on TV at the time with Karate Kid. But I found it quite humorous for myself, and I didn't think it was an insult until later on in my life that I learned, oh, that's not okay. So the further educated we are about racism, we begin to realize where racism is, and then we begin to realize that passive racism has set up on us over the years and years and years. And I know for sure that has shaped us. Yeah. And you mentioned during pandemic, Stop Asian Hate was happening. And Stop Asian Hate did not just start doing pandemic. It just became more aware and provide for us to see. I call pandemic an incredible blessing to bring all of dirty stuff up to the surface so we can to look at it and face it and see what we can do about it. And I think, you know, I went through the same thing you went through. I thought, well, I conquered that. I became successful in my career. I have a voice. I'm on television. I've done my part. But it wasn't until pandemic that I realized that our work just began. Yep. Especially someone like you and I have watched your career grow and you have shown up Every time when a community needs you. And I have to say, thank you. To me, you're American. I look at you more as just someone who is incredibly successful at what you do. Overcome the odds. But recognize your heritage. right? Not your race, but your heritage. I think it's so important to talk about that. right? Your race versus your heritage is different. You can be any race you want, but you choose to honor the heritage you believe in. And go with it and fight with it every day. So I want to talk about that. When you realize that you are important and your voice is important in the AAPI community, what did you begin to do?
1: That's very interesting, too, because, you know, I think everyone is in their own world. Everyone is... Doing their daily routine. I don't think we really realize the kind of impact that we can have. I think, especially for us, I mean, we were, you know, we started a company in 2015, we came in as new into the industry of ramen noodles and also fighting for a voice for Taiwanese product, right, which is, um, kind of been diluted in the industry now. And I mean, for us, it's like, it's always been that battle. So we've been busy with that. We've been just trying to do what we've got to do to survive as a company. But I think it wasn't until later, much later that we started realizing that, you know, we actually do have some impact, we can make a difference. And I think when that recognition and that awakening happened, It was a no brainer for us because it's part of our DNA that we need to, I don't want to say fight for survival, but it is trying to continually, you know, stay top of mind and stay fresh and keep innovating and keep doing stuff. So we always had that drive to continue promoting our culture and the way we do things. And that was the cornerstone of our business all along, which is, you know, there's great ramen from Japan and Korea and China, and everyone knows about it because those are the big boys in the industry, but Taiwan has a lot to offer too. So we really wanted to promote that. And I think for us to, you know, in that journey of promotion and keeping true to what we thought was special about us and what we want to promote, we knew that there was other people that were in the same situation. And I think back, it's still very fresh in my mind, you know, when I first started and what struggles we had and who was there to help us and who supported us and who kind of like pushed us along. And I think for us, we wanted to be that company because, you know, through our product and through our business, we do have a wide reach, right? I mean, we have distribution throughout 50 States in U S Canada, Australia, Korea, Singapore, like all over the place, Mexico. And so our product is out there. And I think for us to be that representing company The more I think about it, I was like, I don't know who else could be that company to do that. So it's almost like we have a duty to do that. I don't want to make it sound like we're doing so much, but we're trying our best, right? To be some sort of, you know, signal that, hey, it can be done and we're doing it. So we'd like to encourage other similar companies, similar cultures, similar people to do the same thing. So really for us, it's a no brainer, I mean, It would be a shame if we didn't do it, I feel. It's not something that we sought out to do, but it was something that, it was our call of duty to do it.
0: To show up and be present. And I think that's what you guys have done. your success story inspires so many others. It's interesting I was listening to you just now. You're talking about Taiwanese culture, the heritage, the the noodles that's not celebrated. I agree with you. I went back to Taiwan three years ago, created a show called Street to Kitchen Asia, and was celebrating mm. the street food in Taiwan. Because we know the night market and the street food in Taiwan, it is legendary. But not yes. often celebrated on television here in the Western culture. So when I had the opportunity to produce a show in Asia with Net Geo and Fox Asia, I didn't want to do something about photography. I didn't want to do anything that I was doing at the time. I chose food. Yeah. Because I grew up in the kitchen with my dad. Yes. He had a Chinese restaurant in Indiana. I did not want to be a chef. I don't want to be a photographer growing up. I did not want to be that. Because my dad was both of those. He was a photographer in Taiwan. Uh-huh. And he was a cook. He was never called himself a chef. He was a cook. And I guess I was a um underage labor sous chef, yeah. learning how to break down broccoli and chickens and you know in two and a half seconds. And and that's how I grew up. But When I got the opportunity to recognize and celebrate the success I had in this country, I wanted to go back to Asia to represent the street to kitchen. Asia, we went from Thailand to Taipei, six episodes as we travel. We study the heritage of the tradition in Tainan because that's where the food really, really started. Right, that's where awesome. the the culture rooted in Tainan. The traditional food still staying there for hundreds of years is still the same. And as it progresses to be more modernism in in Taizong, and yep. when it gets to tai, Taipei, is completely a new fusion that we get to experience. And I, I'm so proud of that. As I listen to you about. Taiwanese food culture and recognizing your own heritage. I have to be honest with me that it took me a long time to get there because I went through the period denying the fact that I'm Asian because by recognizing I'm Asian when you're young, that means you accept all the negative that comes with it. As I'm sure, same with you growing up. I did not want to have a chicken drumstick in my lunchbox. I want to, you know, grilled cheese. <laughs> Was there a turning moment for you? Or was there a time for you that you had to face that kind of journey? Like, you know what? Being Asian is a positive and it's something that benefits me. Did you go through those kind of struggles? Identity struggles a lot in an immigrant family.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, my actual name is, uh, you know, Young Chang, right? But I have a generational name, which is, you know, Han Dynasty Han. Zhang Han Yang is my full name. So Han Young is actually my full name. So as a child, I dropped the Han because it was too difficult for my peers at the time to Han Young, Chang, like it didn't make sense. So I just became Young Chang at that point. And that was my way of kind of letting go of some of my heritage and kind of submitting to the environment that, that I was in.
0: It's interesting. So my name is... Cai hong, Yu. Cai hong Yu. Okay. So I went through the exact same journey you went yes. through. I dropped the hong because people were calling me Hong Yu Yu Hong and it became a joke in school. I went so far as having an American name. Oh. So okay. my American name was Daniel. Okay. Daniel Sai for a while. It wasn't until I started directing TV commercials and when I started doing advertising and I realized that. What do I do to set myself apart from everybody else out there? Yeah. And that's, I think, the first time I really make sure my name is heard and it's going to be unique. But I yeah. wasn't brave enough to keep my middle name because I thought i still get made fun of if I kept that. So I yeah. kept Usai, so it kind of got stuck. Now it's <laughs> but, Perfect. But it's true. We Little things like that defines us. Little things like that can hurt us. And At some point, little things like that really celebrates us, right? And I couldn't be more proud to legally actually change my name to You rather than Daniel Sai. I don't even know who that
1: is. (laughs) We have so many similarities. And I think you probably maybe have the same experience I had, which was as a child, I didn't know that there was beautiful Asian people in this world. I thought that the most beautiful woman in the world was my mom that was the only point of reference that i had and even going back to taiwan as a child it was just kind of like this foreign place where i visited but i would always come back to my real environment and i never knew that there was beautiful asian people in this world and i didn't know that we could be viewed as beautiful and it wasn't until i again came to california and i started seeing all the different Asians and you know taiwanese chinese vietnamese korean everything and i realized that I had been missing out all my life on this amazing culture that was, that was mine. And I think when I came over, like I had this renaissance, right. Which is pro Taiwanese, everything into Taiwanese music, Taiwanese movies, like everything was about Taiwan. I wanted to go on love boat, right. Um, Coming out of high school and just really immerse myself in the culture. And I think um, that was my moment of realization that, You know, I was trapped in this bubble thinking that that was my world. And now seeing everything, it just opened my eyes. And I haven't looked back ever since. And Taiwan does have so much to offer for being such a small geographic populated country has done so much and contributed so much to society. And I think, you know, most people would say that Taiwanese food, I think they would say It's good. They know it tastes good, but there's not that one iconic thing that they can reference, you know, thinking about all the most popular and on-trend foods right now, they all came from Taiwan. A lot of them came from Taiwan, like the boba craze and all that. Right. I mean, now being in this industry specifically about food, I realized that, you know, Taiwanese culture and people have amazing products, but we're just so bad at marketing and we're so bad at self-promotion that it just never gets out there. So I think um, that's part of our duty now, too, which is to find these things, assimilate them into the culture where other cultures and other nationalities can accept it and become more of an international type of story, right? So I know that was a long way to talk about (laughs) my awakening, but that was it. And, you know, I... I've loved the culture ever since and I it has to be preserved, it has to continue.
0: I love hearing that because first generation, second generation, this generational gap. You no, know, we talk about Asian enough and not Asian enough and what is Asian? We're not a monolith. I love this this opportunity to talk to you because from this podcast, I strive to speak to people from different paths and journeys. Mm. Like, can I tell you each time I talk to someone, I always find that common thread that we have. We just go through it from a different path, but we have this common thread of self-identification, self-awareness, and along with that, beginning to build confidence of who we are as second, first, third immigrants, because visually, we're visual people. TikTok, social media is all about what you see. And I couldn't be more proud that we are seeing more of us. And let's talk about us being successful and that's you, right? The journey you now taken had taken Asha to internationally known. This brand is so unique and so powerful. I want to know, did you always have passion in food or was this a business
1: decision? I believe in Bruce Lee's theory, right? Be water, go with the flow. That That's just so in me, right? And in doing so, it's like, you know, you can try to shape and, and do things the way you want and have a plan, which is great because you need that. You, everyone needs that structure in life. But sometimes you have to just go with the flow of things, right? So I went to school, university at the time of the internet. Right, So when I first went into school, I remember them offering us Ethernet. I didn't know what that was, so I said, no, I don't need that. And then by the time I graduated, like, Internet was in full bloom. Um, And my mom had told me that, hey, this Internet thing, you have to get on this. You must – this is the new trend. So she forced me into getting my computer science degree. So I was actually a coder coming out of school, and I was in consulting, and I did that whole – Pricewaterhouse, IBM, Capgemini Consulting, Circuit, and a tech consultant. So I did that very safe route. And I did that for 18 years. I was in that industry for 18 years in Los Angeles through entertainment media at Walt Disney Company, Warner Bros., Sony Music, all this kind of Burbank area, um, high-tech companies. So that was my career. That was my life. And But I realized at some point that I wasn't really good at my job. And I wasn't ever going to be the best coder. I wasn't going to innovate something in the tech world, but I found that what I could do better than my peers was I could actually communicate better, simple things like computer programs. That's where I was kind of pushed more by my bosses to go towards more of the management consulting route. And I started realizing that, you know, I was better at talking and relating to people and things like that. And, you know, nothing to do with food business at all. I was just a consumer like everyone else eating food, buying food, But my brother-in-law, Henry Liao, he's the chairman of the Breeze Group, which they do shopping malls and shopping centers. So he's from the branding, marketing, real estate world. And he made an investment, a business decision to invest in this company called Asha. So he started getting more involved with this because he had this vision also of taking something that's very deep in Taiwan heritage and culture and sharing it with the world. So he got involved with this noodle brand. He's like, hey, why don't we why don't we try this in the States? Because I believe that this product is something that has potential to be exported out of Taiwan and brought to the international stage. So I was like, no, I'm not interested. I kept doing my job and I was very comfortable doing what I was doing. But he worked on me for like three years and just didn't stop talking about this noodle. And finally I was like, all right, let's try it. So I started bringing it in and it was great. And it sold out selling on Amazon, selling it online, selling in like local boba shops. And we just kept going on and on more and more. And then we were like, at some point we realized, wow, this, this thing is very viable. So we need to put a real business plan, a real strategy in place and really think about how we want to attack the U S market. And so that's how this thing came about. And I remember at the time, both of us not being from the food business, right. Both being from very different backgrounds. We're like, I don't know how we're going to compete. We don't know the first thing about how food gets on shelves. How does it get into the United States? All that stuff. And I remember him saying something to me, which always stuck with me and still sticks with me to this day, which is everyone's trying to do something different and try to innovate and think outside the box. But for us, because we're not part of this industry, we are already out of the box. So everything that we do is going to be natively, it's going to be different than whatever everyone else is doing. And that's the reason why we're going to succeed. Makes sense in theory, but makes no sense in terms of really operating a company. But we did it. We want to be different. We want to be a disruptor. We want to stand out. We want to be something that everyone is not. It draws so much parallel to coming in the US, which is as children, all we wanted to do was fit in. Until we got the confidence, until we realized that The thing that makes us interesting is how we're different and how we can stand out. So that those two parallels, it's, it makes so much sense. And now thinking about it, it's like my brother-in-law is a genius because he picked the perfect person because I had been on that journey personally already. So I knew that bringing this noodle in, we can't be like everyone else. We'll never make it. We'll just be like everyone else, but we are different. You know, just like you and I, Everyone calls us banana because on the outside, we look yellow, but inside, we're very much American, right? So we're kind of trapped between two cultures. Our noodle was trapped between two cultures as well. It's like, are you Taiwanese or are you, are, you a, are you a ramen noodle that we as Americans can be used to? So we had to play that fine line, which is we have heritage, we have legacy, but we are also something that you can accept as well. So we still continue to draw from those experiences. Right? We were applying it to our childhood and trying to survive and make it in the U.S. And now I'm taking the same knowledge and trying to apply it to our product and our brand and try to let it survive in the U.S. as well.
0: It sounds like an easy path, but you and I both know it's not as easy as that one breath you just gave. There must oh, have yeah. been so many roadblocks. How yeah. do you encourage other entrepreneurs to climb over the hurdles, walk around the wall? What was it that you had that you can share with others so they can do the same?
1: I read a lot of autobiographies. I like to listen to the journey of the Phil Knights and the Elon Musk and and the Zuckerbergs, right? It's always the same thing. Like there's some common thing. And I feel like what it was for us was, it's almost like a sickness where you just believe so much that it's going to work. And no one's going to take you off the path. You know, I have an 18-year-old son. I tell him all the time, it's like, you can be successful in whatever you do. You can choose to be whatever you want to be. You can be a janitor. But if you are the best janitor in the world, you will be successful. You must have that passion. You must have that undying, unrelenting belief and passion that you are the best. And if you are the best janitor in the world, guess what? You will be recognized for that. And more than likely, you will start a business, a very wildly successful business around janitorial services, just because you are the best at that. So Mm -hmm. I always feel that it's not so important and it doesn't matter what it is that you do. It's just a matter that you must have the passion for it. And you have to have that undying belief. And I gotta be honest, I didn't always have it for our business, but this is the one B to what I just said, which is you have to have the right support system. You cannot surround yourself with people that are, constantly telling you, you can't do it, or naysayers that say, no, it's too hard. For me, my rock was my brother-in-law. He was the one that was always saying, we can do it, we can do it, don't give up, you know, keep pushing. He had that belief. And when we were like millions in the hole, in a very dead end, dying business, we kept saying to each other, keep going, keep going, just is going to come right around the corner. It's there. Having that belief, having that passion. Never say no attitude and having the right support system that can lift you up when you're having doubts in yourself. I think those two are the things that really, you know, above all, like we're the ones that that got us through and got us to where we are today.
0: Um, thank you for breaking the mold of the traditional Asian thinking that you must be a lawyer, doctor, or even accountant. It's okay. And I think real estate agent is added to that list now these days because real estate is good for Asian community. Um, <laughs> to even give and provide the opportunity to your child that way, I don't want to say it's modern, but it is forward thinking in all culture. We come to America, American dream, you can do whatever you want, but don't do everything you want. Do what's going to work and do what's the lowest hanging fruit. But work really hard. doesn't matter you care about it or not. You need to make sure you can put food on the table. And I think that's the blessing for you being second generation immigrant. And that's where we begin to see growth in, in our community. To know that the first, second and third can help each other whether through our journey, whether just showing up. Yep. The fact that you always show up when I see an AAPI event. Yes. And what I love is that you're a multi-million dollar company. You're hugely successful. You don't need to show up anymore. You are there. Yep. I watch you at the AAPI Board event. You went to every single yep. one of the booths. You introduce yourself to people that know you, and that was so refreshing to watch and see. Not only inspire me. That's what I mean by being present and show up. And we don't see enough big companies do that. And one of the things, especially in our Asian culture, when you become successful in the West, you don't look back. And in Chinese, as a say, right, a good horse doesn't turn around and eat the grass behind them, right? And, and I'm sure you know that term, mm. but I think a good horse, look back at the grass they have walked on, mm. and go back and shit on yeah. it to refertilize fertilize it again and let the grass come right. back. That's right, right. that's, that's right. Not how it should be. <laughs> so I think what good horses, and for me, I did make a conscious decision, And conscious decision that is really important to go yeah. back and do television shows in Asia, photograph Asian models, celebrate Asian actresses and actors, show up when you can, be present when you can. Those are the people that I surround myself with. You can be given a seat at the table. Are you gonna sit there quietly? Or are you gonna pick up that chopstick and eat what's at the table and belongs to you? Just be present. It is so important. Whether it's five seconds, 10 seconds, and what you're teaching your child today, okay. be the best at what you do. And it doesn't matter what it is that you do, just be the best at it. It's incredible value to be taught.
1: Showing up is half the battle, right? You've got to be there. Otherwise, you don't even have a chance.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. it got to be at the starting line somewhere. Let's jump into the noodles quickly because I want to know what makes. Asha noodles so special. I know you're following tradition. What makes it so different than what's out there?
1: Yeah, so I mean what's out there, quite frankly, because you know, everyone's running a business, right? So you want to be efficient, you want to make things fast, and the bigger the better, right? But for us, it's like, you know, the way that noodles were made. And you know, there's nothing secret about what we do. We're using a hundred-year-old recipe, right? Dry noodle made with wheat, salt, and water. That's our noodle recipe. Our sauce recipe, here it comes. Uh, Soy sauce, sesame oil, okay? Uh, That's it. So that's the secret sauce to what we do. But how we make it, I think, is the important thing, right? Every noodle block that we do still goes through an 18-hour process by which it's air-dried. So we try to stay as true as we can to the authenticity of the product. You know, where that old-world charm meets modern manufacturing capabilities, I think that's the zone that we're in right now where we're able to capture the true authenticity of that noodle. So I think, you know, for our product, you know, young generations, old generations, when they eat it, they do taste that, hey, this is legit. This is real stuff. This is not something that's been watered down or it's not something that's manufactured to the point where it doesn't taste real, like real hand-pulled noodles. So we get that all the time. People say, oh, this tastes very homemade. And that's exactly what we're trying to capture. We're not trying to make ramen noodles. We're not trying to make something that college kids eat we're trying to bring back memories. We're trying to bring back emotion so that when people eat the noodle, they can think back to, wow, you know, when my mom or my grandma or someone from my past that used to make this noodle for me, this is that flavor that they used to make. For us, trying to capture that emotion and, uh, you know, that heritage, that legacy, that's really what we're after and where I feel we've been successful because that's how we positioned ourselves. I mean, there's so many ramen noodles. What makes us different from everyone else? And what it is, is the style of noodle, right? Dry noodle, which is typically different from the American perception of Asian noodle. It's right, pho, ramen, everything always has soup, but we also have a dry noodle as well, which is more akin to a pasta, right? So we draw those parallels with, more western style noodle using an air dry technique versus deep fried so that gives our noodle um, the freshness and the very fragrant flavor that it has because we use air drying technique versus deep fry because once you introduce heat and you deep fry something everything almost more or less tastes the same right so so we try to keep little things here and there to retain that legacy but at the same time We definitely try to make it efficient. We try to make it so that we can scale up for a Costco, for a Target, to be able to mass produce something. But we wanna keep those little tidbits of authenticity so that people know that it's a real product. And it's very, very unmistakably Taiwanese.
0: So now with our food background, successful business, do you begin to collaborate with chefs and other culinary experts to really refine the product?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is the part where we try to bridge the gap between cultures, right? So for us, um, you know, we could promote Asha and we can promote our brand and promote what we want for many, many, many years. And I'm sure there will still be a lot of people that don't know who we are. So for a way For us to kind of jump the line and accelerate the process, we chose to do collabs. We chose to do partnerships with, for example, Sanrio, BT21, which is created by BTS, Momofuku, which is the brainchild of David Chang, Duncan Robinson of the Miami Heat. So we're trying to tap into different people and different target audiences to bring them all together. And the common thread in all this is food. The common thread is the ramen noodle that we're trying to pull people in. because. People maybe never tried ramen noodle before. I believe there are some people out there that just say, oh, that's not for me. But my favorite NBA player is eating it. So maybe I should try it, right? So we're just trying to use those collaborations and co-branding opportunities to bring more awareness to the product. And obviously, with our um, Noodle Master Series, now we're working with executive chefs that are highly decorated, you know, Michelin, James Beard to take our product and say, okay, what can you do with it? Because we believe our product is very universal and we believe that our product can translate different cultures and different nationalities and different food genres. So we're not claiming to be the best chefs out there, but we want to work with the best chefs so that they can bring our product and they can do things with it. So we did a pop-up in Manhattan with a restaurant called Kimika and uh, chef Christine Lau took our noodle integrated with her Italian pasta dishes, swapped out the Italian pasta with Asian noodle and served it the same way. And it was an amazing success and we had so much fun with it. And that was when I think the magic happened because you can make Asian dishes with Asian products. That's kind of expected, but when you start to take you know, non-Asian dishes and integrate Asian ingredients, wow, now you're opening people's eyes up to the possibilities and you know what we can really do together. That's really our objective with all of our partnerships. So there are specific purposes, there are reasons why we do it. And it's all this strategy uh, of the overall bigger picture, which is really to promote, you know, our noodle and our culture.
0: What's the end goal? You can continue to build a business, expand the global brand name, but what is the ultimate end goal for you?
1: You know, the ultimate end goal, I think now that people are starting to see our brand, they're starting to ask these questions. And I think before our end goal was just to survive, right? We want to make it in the US. We want to become a legit company. But now, you know, we've made Inc. 500 fastest growing private companies, like three years running. We, we kind of did that. Not to say that that's not important, because obviously our business needs to survive. But the things that always stick to my memory, and the things that I believe that we gauge our successes, when I'm walking through TSA, and I'm wearing my Asha branded t-shirt or mask, and the TSA agent says, Oh, Asha, I love that brand. Those are actually the moments where it just makes me feel like we did it. And I hear this story about my friend. He was telling me how he attended a friend's wedding. The best man gave a speech to the groom and said, you know, I can't wait for us to have another beer and an Asha noodle again. And my friend was like, wait a second. You know, was that Young's company, Asha? Those are the things that make us feel like, wow, big picture, everything that we're trying to do, we are successful we remember those moments more so than the other things. It's
0: such an incredible parallel existing in a Western culture and always seeking for recognition of being an Asian person, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think Asha as a brand really signified that. It has that exact parallel. When you have somebody who's a stranger you don't know recognizes Asha, with respect, it's the same as recognizing our heritage and respecting it. And on top of it, Actually, enjoying it, that's a true acceptance. Yes. We always say food brings everybody together. There's no racism in food. Right. There's no racism in food. That's right. Period. So, with your mission, giving opportunity to the next generation, teaching them that don't be afraid to continue to conquer what you love and being passionate about what you do, that's a start. Yep. But recognizing, be present, and recognize who you are and what you bring to the table.
1: I think that's the finish line yeah yeah i think deep down we're all still trying to get that acceptance right we're trying to get that recognition that okay you are now one of us and i think you know going back to your earlier point about us showing up it's like we want to encourage other people you know that startup business whether it's food or something else like do it because we can do it. You can do it too. I mean, we have a strategy. We had a belief and we kept at it. Everyone else can do it too. We want to be that example for everyone. So we have to show up. We have to keep being there. We have to keep being present. We have to be in the front leading the charge. And when someone's saying that, Oh, you know, your little sauce can never make it. Okay. Well these guys made it with their little noodle so I can make it with my sauce too. And Asha will be right there to back up all these everyone that needs that support, right? So that's our mission now.
0: Thank you, Yang, for finding your passion and a mission of contribution for lifting up our local community and for spreading Taiwanese culture to the global community. I found that today's conversation is so empowering and inspiring because it is the essence of what it is to be an American, an immigrant, Whatever your race, your identity, lies in your own experience of your heritage. You're born in your skin color and how you become self-aware, leaning to your culture, it's a choice. It's both a demonstration of your individuality as well as a means of honoring and preserving your community. So often, immigrants try to assimilate and leave the traditions behind, just so we can blend in, but If we can find ways to express our background while celebrating both the previous generation and the generation that we represent and the legacy that we carry on, it's truly a win for everyone. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me on Instagram at usite88 for updates. Let's talk the production of ADA Phases. I'm your host, Yousai. Our director, Luis Jaime. And writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swingen. Thank you for this open conversation.